The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. What wins in your life will last and outlast you. And if the wins that you're getting won't last, what will outlast you? And so let me uh, share this kind of goofy story with you. Um, two years ago, when, when our youngest son was newborn, we decided to take a road trip across the country. I mean, 7,500 miles in a minivan, all eight of us. My kids from the age of 18 to newborn. Eight people crammed in a stinky minivan with a cargo carrier on top. I mean, you could see us coming. And people did. So when we got to California, uh, we were, we were uh, staying like Central California. We were driving south towards San Diego. And my kids wanted to see the Hollywood sign. Like they thought that'd be really cool. And so we drove there. It was late in the evening. By the time we got to the Hollywood sign, it was like almost dark. And so we jumped back in the car and we still had a couple more hours of driving to do. Well, you know exactly what happens as parents when you have a destination to get to, a couple hours to get there. What do you hear? I gotta go to the bathroom. I mean, we literally been in the car like two minutes and everybody's going, I gotta go to the bathroom, I gotta go to the bathroom. And so, did what you always do, right? Like find the closest gas station in Hollywood. I mean, the gas station looked like it was beaded in diamonds. Anyway, we pull up and you know, like we, we knew it was open because there was a big neon flashing sign that said open. Okay, this is important. There's a car over there pumping gas. I know the place is open. But it takes us a few minutes to get out of the car, so we all pile out of the car, you know, get the kids unstrapped, and including the 18-year-old. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but, you know, get everybody out. We all kind of, like, walk up to the gas station, and, like, I go open the door, and, like, it's locked. Like, they locked it. And we're looking in. There's nobody in there that we can see. So I go, typical me. I'm like... I know you're in there. <laughs> Unlock the door. I'm like, nobody comes. So then I'm like, <laughs> we don't want to leave a deposit on your front step. <laughs> All right, so then like nobody comes. So now we're really desperate. So I start hitting louder and longer. And I figure at some point they're going to call the cops. No, seriously. Right, like we're surrounded by luxury. I mean, you can literally look right there. There's like gorgeous luxury mansions, luxury cars driving by, ladies dressed to the nines with their accessorized puppies in their purses walking by, and here we are pounding on the door of a gas station trying to use the restroom. After a while, we feel defeated and desperate, so we're ready to give up. We're a mile from the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and you know what we're doing? The Hollywood Shuffle of Shame, <laughs> trying to get to another restroom. So we get in there in the car, and we're driving down the road. We finally drive into like the, the, the questionable part of town, where at least they open the doors for the restroom and let us in. And you know what our family says when we think about Hollywood now? Yeah, it wouldn't even let us use their restrooms. And, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe there are doors that you don't unlock for people in need. Maybe you've locked the door on somebody 
in your life. Because, you know, people and their problems are inconvenient. They come in your life, they make messes, and they leave messes for you to clean up. And no one knows this better than moms. I mean, moms get this, that kids and their problems are inconvenient and uncomfortable. And, you know, moms are amazing. Moms are selfless. My wife, Laura, she is the most selfless, sacrificial, giving person I've ever known. I mean, she gives and gives and gives. And, you know, my own mom, who raised four rambunctious boys, uh, I have a tremendous and profound appreciation for my mom because I really learned how moms uh, give and give and give. And my mom, she cooked endlessly for us boys who had, you know, bottomless appetites. She constantly was correcting, constantly training, and constantly praying for us. I think most times she was praying like, dear God, help them before I kill them. But she, you know, she modeled for us what it looks like to unlock the door and welcome people into your life in a selfless way. But even moms have their limits. Come on. I, I know even my, my wife is the most selfless person I know. Uh, there are days when I get home and she's had enough with the boys. And I can see that look in her eyes. You guys know what I mean, right? Like you've seen the look in your wife's, your wife's eyes and you know, if I don't get my boys out of here, I'm gonna have a few fewer children. And so like, I come in like, come on, come on, come on, come uh, on. And, and like, as we're walking away, she's like telling me all the things they did wrong that they need to be disciplined for. And I'm like, cause moms have their limits of how many holes they wanna see put in the walls of their house. How many, you know, how many cars they want to see scattered on the kitchen floor and how many upstairs windows they want opened by their four-year-old and pajamas thrown out of them. True story. I have pictures to prove it. How many, how many fans and lights they want shot by a BB gun the day after Christmas, the BB gun they got for Christmas. Dear God help my wife, right? So they, you hit their limit, they hit their limit and you hit yours. And you know, moms, they don't get the convenience of like locking the bathroom door, but we do, we want to lock the door and keep people out, keep their needs out, keep them out of our restrooms. But when you look back on life, winds will look different than when you're facing forward. Jesus, at the end of his life, he had predicted his own death, and now he's only a, a few days away. And he's, been, he's teaching all of these profound principles on how to win, how to really win at life. And the last segment of teaching he offers is how to win in such a way that you unlock the door to people. So I'm going to jump into it. It's found in the gospel of Matthew because it's written by Matthew, who's an eyewitness to the life and teachings of Jesus. This is the, really the last teaching of Jesus um, before he's going to go to his death. And he uses a metaphor. He, he's teaching about the end time, about the final judgment. And he says this, when the son of man comes in his glory and all of the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all of the nations will be gathered before him. He, everybody will be brought before Jesus. And he will separate the people, 
one from the other as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now I use this opening passage when I was teaching about living rightly. But I want to continue to, to go through this teaching for you to really give you a, a life principle on how to live in such a way that your wins will not just last but outlast you. And so Jesus is talking about the final judgment. After you're gone from earth, you will stand before God and be judged on how you lived winning. And, and so, you know, in Jesus' time, he's using a metaphor of a, of a shepherd with sheep and goats. And just to, so you know, if you were an animal in Jesus' time, you don't want to be a goat, okay? Because not only in the story do they get separated to the right and condemned, but uh, goats became, some of them became scapegoats. So in a community, they would take a goat, they would all lay their hands on it, and it was representative of transferring their guilt their wrongs, their shame, their sin, which is a rejection of God, onto the goat, and then they would bring it out into the wilderness and they would let it go to die. Not a good deal. So you don't want to be a goat. And so Jesus is teaching, he's saying that in the end, when you look back on your life, God will look back on your life and you will be judged and then separated into your eternal destiny based on whether you're a sheep or a goat. So here's what I'll say to the sheep. Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Well, how do you get blessed? How do you get invited into eternal life with God forever? Here's, here's what he says. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when? What are you talking about? What, what do you mean? You were hungry, thirsty, naked, sick, and in prison. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in needing clothes and clothed you? What, you were naked, Jesus? When did we see you sick? What did you have, the coronavirus? When were you in prison and we go to visit you? What were you in for anyway? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did to one of these, the least of these, brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. The king who is above all kings, he's not a figurehead like Queen Elizabeth who seems to live forever. Like he's not just a figurehead. He is the ultimate authority who both reigns as king and rules as judge, he will decide our eternal destiny based on what we did or did not do. The key, love does. We will be judged by love and what love does. And if the sheep are rewarded and blessed and given eternal paradise because they did what love does, then the goats did not do what love does. They didn't love 
and they didn't do what love does. So let's read what they did not do. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, not blessed, into eternal fire rather than eternal paradise. Prepared for the devil and his angels. I don't want to spend eternity with them. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they will answer, Lord, when? Did you catch it? The righteous said, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and feed you? The wicked will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty, a stranger and, or needing clothes or sick and in prison and we did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Jesus, in a re most remarkable manner, you can, you can do an examination of all the different um, religions of the world. The only time that's, that the leader, the, um, the one who introduces this faith, so in our context, Jesus, when they refer to God, you never find a religion where they refer to God as most identifying with the naked, poor, hungry, thirsty, sick, and in prison. They always identify with people of power. Jesus, he identifies with the hurting, the broken, the marginalized, and those suffering injustice. And then says, you will be judged by how you treated me. The naked, the poor, the hungry, the thirsty, those in prison and suffering and sickness. The key is how you treated Jesus. And how we treat Jesus comes from how we respond to Jesus. It's not what we first did or didn't do, although that's the way the story goes, but it's what you do driven by love. And you cannot do love unless you're loved. So Jesus comes and he recognizes that every one of us would be lumped in with the goats. And so Jesus becomes the scapegoat, receives our sin, our shame, our guilt, our eternal judgment, which which means we're aimed toward eternal punishment. So he receives our eternal punishment, dies in our place, absorbs our shame and guilt. But he not only dies as the scapegoat, but he rises from the dead, victorious over sin, over shame, over guilt, and over eternal judgment. So when you believe in Jesus by faith, you're not only forgiven, you are given new life. But you're not only given new and forever life, you're given the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus ascended to heaven and then he sent his Holy Spirit so that anyone who believes in Jesus receives God's Spirit in their spirit. The Spirit of God which fills them with love. You can't do what love does unless you have the Spirit of love 
in you. So really what Jesus is saying is we are separated based on whether we have the spirit of love in us or not. Sheep had the spirit of love, therefore they loved. The goats did not have the spirit of love, therefore they did not love. And so Jesus became the scapegoat to become the goat, right? Hopefully you know what I mean by that, the greatest of all time. And then he offered us his love. So anyone who believes in Jesus loves, and they do what love does. And so right now, before you try to just determine that you're gonna love more, you have to ask, do I have the source of love? Is my life headed toward living a life of love or not? And I can only live a life of love if I have the spirit of love in me that comes from the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus. And if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, to receive his spirit in your spirit and the promise of forever life, then you just say yes to Jesus right now by faith, believe in him, and I promise you he will forgive you and give you that new life. And when he gives you that new life, um, you begin to live a new kind of life. Now look, if you're making that commitment, let us know. Text the name Jesus to 81411. When you text us, we just wanna encourage you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus. When you believe in Jesus and the spirit of love begins to live in you, God's spirit lives in you, then you begin to do what love does. What does love do? Let's jump back into the story. I'm gonna go back real quick. I'm gonna give you a couple key principles. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And Jesus says, right, when you did it to the very least of these, you did it to me. Love shows up. That's it. What does love do? Love shows up. How does love show up? Well, Jesus said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you came and visited me. I was in prison and you came and you cared for me. Love just showed up. God showed up. Love showed up. When we have God's love in us, we show up. Our, there is power in presence. And the power of your presence invites God's presence into a desperate situation. Jesus, when he identifies with the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the sick, and the imprisoned, he is saying that I am present in the dark and desperate situations of your life. I am present for those who are naked. I am present for those in prison. I am present with those who are sick and quarantined. And when you show up, you're not just showing up bringing God, you are showing up to serve God. Because behind that quarantine is Jesus. To that homeless person, he is Jesus. And when you begin to care for them, you are caring for Jesus. When you, when you show up to them, you are not just bringing the power of presence. You are showing up in the presence of God. 
Some of you need to hear this so that you begin to see others with the eyes of Jesus so that others see Jesus in your eyes. See others with the eyes of Jesus so that they see Jesus in your eyes. There is something supernatural and powerful about showing up, about being present, about being involved. Funerals are mandatory, weddings optional, right? Like love shows up where it's needed, not just wanted. What does love do? Love shows up and is present. You found Jesus in desperate situations, in dark situations. And Jesus not only showed up, but Jesus took it on himself. He identified with injustice. He identified with poverty. He identified with oppression, with imprisonment and sickness. So that you and I would be reminded that the greatest power in our life is the power of God's love that shows up. But it doesn't just show up, it serves. In fact, the other key principle I want to give you is compassion both cares and carries. You know what love does? Love cares and carries. It shows up and then it gets involved. Love unlocks the door and then lets people in and then cleans up the mess that they leave. You, you see what I'm saying? Love cares and carries. Love lets people into their life and then helps carry the mess of their life. Listen to this. What, what does Jesus teach when he says how will be, we will be judged by what we did? Listen, he, he's talking about the sick and he says, he says, um, I was sick and you cured me? Is that what he say? No. He says, I was sick and you came to me. You didn't, you didn't distance yourself. You put on a mask, you put on PPE, and you came and you brought a dinner. We get it, don't we? This verse makes a whole lot more sense in 2021. He said, I was in prison. You didn't set me free. You just came and you cared. You cared enough to visit. See, he didn't set the bar at curing sickness and bringing freedom to those in captivity. He just said, you were there, you cared, and you carried my burden. I mean, he says, for those that are hungry, you offered a meal. You carried my hunger. You felt it personally. Look, I have traveled to some of the most impoverished nations on earth. As a pastor, as a missionary, we've sent teams all across the globe, and I've led some of those teams. Um, shortly after the earthquake in Haiti, we went there. We visited some incredibly impoverished people. Um, some of the churches in our Lifehouse network are in the Balkans, in Albania, one of the poorest, really the poorest um, country in Europe. And when we go there, we'll go and we'll bring food and we'll bring clothes and we'll travel to some of the outlying villages where people are incredibly poor. 
and we're bringing food. You know what's interesting? When we show up at their home, do you know what they do? They invite us in and they serve us. That's what love does. Love gives the little you have left to those who show up in your life. To those who are thirsty, anybody can offer a drink of water. Love doesn't have to cure the sick and free the in prison. It just has to show up. Cares and carries. See, love is just simply selfless. Moms, you get this. But I don't know if you get it fully, which is why I want to share this with you. Because you've had to get up in the middle of the night to a crying baby or a crying teenager. You already didn't have enough sleep. And at three o'clock in the morning, the last thing you want to do is have to get up and take care of somebody or give them a bottle or nurse them. You were doing it for Jesus. You weren't just feeding a baby. You were caring for the Son of God. That's what he said. And when you were when you're working two jobs just to put food on the table to feed your hungry kids, you weren't just feeding your kids. You were doing it for Jesus. And when you've had to clean up, throw up, or when your kids vomit their pain and their emotions and their fears on you, and you had to try to clean it up, you weren't just cleaning up their mess. You were doing it for Jesus. And when you find your kids trapped in fear, maybe trapped in an addiction or a life-controlling habit that's wrecking them, and you offered consoling words and a hug and compassion and prayer, you were doing it for Jesus. Every time you hold them and hug them and feed them, and I get it. Man, there's no better picture in this passage than kids. They were hungry and thirsty and naked and imprisoned and sick. And I did it for them. Jesus, you were doing it for me. You do it for Jesus. Look, love is selfless. Love is winning. You know what love does? Love gives radically. Love obeys Jesus recklessly and love prays relentlessly. If you don't believe in Jesus, you don't have to apply any of the message I just shared. In fact, you not only don't have to, it's gonna be really hard to. It might even be impossible. But if you believe in Jesus, don't tell me don't tell me I love Jesus, but serving isn't my thing. No, it's, it's Jesus' thing. You serve Jesus. I love Jesus. I believe in Jesus, but I, but I don't feel called to give. I don't feel called to tithe. I don't, I don't feel called to care for the poor. What? No, no, no. You can't believe in Jesus and not be generous. You can't believe in Jesus and not serve. You can't believe in Jesus and not pray. You just can't because the love of God in you will compel you to do what love does. 
Love is selfless and sacrificial and generous. Love will pray. So for you, would you allow me to take a moment and pray over you? Pray the encouragement of God, the blessing of God over you, and then I want to give you a final brief challenge. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you became our scapegoat. So that when you became the goat, you, you gave us the win. The greatest of all time won and then offers us a life of winning in love. You won on our behalf and invited us into a life of loving, doing what love does. So God, would you give us a spirit of love so that we would show up and we would be filled with the compassion that both cares and carries. Jesus, we need your love. But we don't only need your love, we need to be reminded to do what your love does. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been so gracious. You've listened to a sermon. You've listened to a message. Hopefully, you've learned some life principles about living, winning, that lasts and outlasts. But I don't, my goal was not for you to hear a sermon, but for you to hear from the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of love and the spirit of Christ. So I want you to take a moment right now on your own and listen. Would you allow the spirit of God to speak to you? Maybe there's something I said that struck a chord with you. Maybe there's a door that you need to unlock in your life to let someone in. But I believe that God's spirit wants to speak to you right now and he's gonna show you those areas of your life where he wants to lift you he wants to encourage you. He wants to strengthen you in areas where he wants to challenge you. So would you listen? Allow God's spirit to speak to your heart and then be obedient. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.